It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. When we talk about staying healthy, we usually discuss diet or exercise. The one area that is often overlooked is our command center, the brain. Brain health is a critical piece of overall health. It controls the ability to communicate, make decisions, problem solve, and live a productive life. Joining us today to talk about how we can maintain a healthy brain is Dr. Gary Simmons, a brain surgeon who spent his life caring for the sickest of the sick. Dr. Simmons is an author whose latest book is Death's Pale Flag. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored. Well, you know, Doctor, it, it's really interesting because... We check everything out in our lives. We get EKGs and colonoscopies and we have mammograms. And yet we don't pay a whole lot of attention to what is really controlling everything. So why do you think we don't give our brain so much consideration? Uh, I think it's probably uh, one thing is I think we probably take a lot for granted. Um, I guess we do with our heart as well. It's their working way all the time. And uh, we don't really think of it unless there's problems. Uh, but certainly the brain is always going. I mean, it's nonstop, right? It's always going and it's it's kind of multitasking all the time. And uh, I think we're just used to the, the machinery running for itself. When I started doing this work, I really had the opportunity to learn a lot about the brain. I remember growing up in science class, we, we were kind of taught that you have a brain and then as you get older, it degenerates and then you know, you're going to lose the function. But now there's just so much exciting research about how our our brain can keep growing and evolving and changing. And so what are some of the biggest brain issues that you see happening today? Well, um, let me start with, uh, with your first commentary, because I think it's very interesting. I think, uh, for the longest time, we as as human beings, uh, and really I, most of us through uh, most of our development have have seen the brain as a as a pretty static thing. We kind of learned that neurons are are made and uh, they they if they're if they're lost, they're not replaced. Um, and uh, all these connections are made in, it, as we're developing uh, uh, as an embryo and then in maybe early life. And then we just kind of uh, think of it all as, okay, the wiring is set. It's just like a computer. All the wires are, are uh, soldered together and done, set up the way they're supposed to be, and that's the way it's going to be. And then over time, we're going to lose a bunch of wires because, you know, the machinery goes through a lot. And therefore, it's natural to be losing things as as time goes on, losing function, using uh, losing abilities. 
But the reality is that the brain is a remarkably dynamic organ. It is changing nonstop. It changes on so many levels, on on kind of a macroscopic level, which parts of the brain are, are being active at any one time, which parts of the brain are getting an increased amount of oxygen and blood flow. Uh, but then as you go more and more microscopic, the connections between neurons, of which there are billions, there's actually trillions of connections and billions of neurons, but all those connections that we tend to think are just wiring that are, are, are set up and, and left to go, they are changing all the time. If you use certain connections a lot, those connections are strengthened. If you don't, those connections are weakened. And all the way down on the microscopic level where, where one neuron meets another in what's called a synapse, where they communicate from one neuron to another, that's a very dynamic situation as well. The, the, the uh, receptors that one neuron has waiting for neurotransmitters uh, to be delivered aren't, aren't static. They change in number. They change in their ability to receive neurochemicals. So anyway, that, it's a long way of saying this. The system is constantly in flux, constantly changing, constantly adapting to the environment. So if the environment is a, a positive uh, growth-oriented uh, uh, environment, there is a good chance that that brain is going to work better uh, all the time. If the brain, if the environment is toxic and and depleting, uh, well, the brain is going to show uh, the effects of that. You were describing when when we behave in a certain way or think in a certain way repeatedly, it strengthens particular uh, pathways, but. If we wanted to change those pathways and create new ones, what would we have to do in order to make that happen? Yeah, I think um, when we uh, when we get to that uh, level of consideration, um, we have to take a little bit of a leap of faith uh, in that we don't know exactly, even though I said it's very dynamic and it's always changing, we don't know 100% for sure that we are indeed changing things for the better. We see it more on a, micro, on a macroscopic level where we know, for example, that there are, that are uh, behaviors that are protective against things such as depression or such as uh, dementia. Uh, and and they're fairly straightforward uh, behaviors when you think about it, um, but things that we kind of take for granted and say, oh, yeah, sure, of course that would do it, but then we don't necessarily do it. So, uh, I mean, very, very um, clear uh, and and common things such as keeping good nutrition, keeping the right chemicals going into your body uh, would be one exercising has been shown to be of great uh, help. Uh, maintaining relationships, maintaining the relationships that are important to you. Um, continuous learning, you know, always feeding your brain new information, new learning uh, are all great. Getting sleep, getting rest when you're supposed to have it, uh, exposing yourself to new experiences, seeing new places, going uh, thinking about new things, uh, as well as giving your brain a break. So giving, giving the brain uh, some meditation time, some quiet time, 
and so forth. All these things that we may take for granted and just assume, oh, yeah, they're, they're probably good for the brain. When you actually look at it uh, in terms of populations uh, and, their, and their susceptibility to things like dementia or depression, uh, there is definitely a strong correlation. But if you were to say, okay, Simmons, then what, what pathway exactly is being strengthened by this? Or what new connections are you making? Um, I can't tell you. I don't think anybody can tell you specifically. We can look at the brain with things called functional MRI and see certain areas of the brain light up more, meaning they're being used more. But again, that's on a very macroscopic level. It doesn't get down to the, the very fine connections that are going on between these billions of, mm-hmm. of neurons. Do you think um, someone who may have experienced a stroke or a brain tumor or any type of injury to the brain, do you think what you're seeing in the research, is there hope and in, in some exciting things coming up that may help the brain to heal or, or even regenerate? Yeah, I think um, we are we are a long way off still from um, being able to encourage or, or uh, implant new neurons, if you will, and say, go grow and make the connections that you're supposed to. Um, the, the setting up of the connections is very complex and uh, uh, really requires kind of the, the early development of the brain uh, for the processes of the neurons to pass by the areas that they need to get to. Anyway, it, it, it is quite a challenge to say, here, let's get a, a, some new neurons in there and grow to other regions. But there is a lot of um, interest in can we uh, strengthen, reestablish, uh, work around areas of damage. And there is certainly research into the idea of, uh, of starting up new neurons. Uh, but I would say, you know, in all reality, it's got a ways to go. Uh, another huge area, though, that we're going to see much sooner, probably, I would bet, is is marrying up our nervous systems with the computer world, with uh, microelectronics, uh, where we will be able to connect areas of the nervous system uh, to one another or even to robotics, even to exoskeletons and robotics and stuff like that, where you'll be, and, and, and this is being done right now, where you're, you, you'll be able to say with a, um, a brain that, is, that has paralysis on one side of the body, uh, to be able to uh, use a, a bioelectronic interface and be able to, to think, move, your arm and if there's an exoskeleton with robotics attached to be able to actually move that arm and there's a, there's actually some research going on right now um, of kind of bypassing areas within the spinal cord with electronics and just kind of reconnecting the brain to the spinal cord uh, beyond an injury with electronics and be able to get movement uh, in paralyzed limbs so that's Field, that field of connecting the nervous system with, you know, the, the, the magic of our modern day 
uh, computer systems and robotics is really going to explode, as well as um, implanting various types of electrode systems, electronics, into the brain itself and uh, altering how the brain is is functioning when it is, <laughs> excuse me, when it is dysfunctioning. Uh, the classic example right now is with Parkinson's disease, where uh, when Parkinson's, when the movement disorder uh, component of Parkinson's disease gets bad enough, uh, we're able to put electrodes deep into the brain, into certain very small areas of the brain, and remarkably improve a lot of the symptoms. Um, this component of uh, taking care of the brain is really about to explode. I mean, it's going to go in so many directions. And you've certainly heard of the billionaires getting interested in this with, with uh, people like uh, Elon Musk uh, putting a fair amount of money into uh, research in that interface. And it's certainly out there in all sorts of uh, university labs. Do you think this is something that we'll see in our lifetime? Yeah, we're. I think we'll definitely see the. Well, I may be. I may be stretching it when I say my lifetime. I guess I'm getting on there. But well, uh, I, me uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I. Uh, uh, yeah, this is coming fast and furious, and mm -hmm. I mean we're already implanting these electrodes in the for various disorders, and that list of disorders is going to expand rapidly. Seizure disorders, uh, various. Uh, behavioral disorders, um, you know, a, a whole list of diseases. Uh, I think it's going to uh, certainly come up with seizures and stroke care and stuff like that. Um, but that bioelectronic interface as well, where you're where you're moving uh, uh, robotics or you're um, uh, or you're reconnecting to somewhere else in the nervous system, that's coming fast and furious too. So yeah. I think, uh, and, and then, like I said, when you hear the billionaires are interested in this uh, and you start getting industrial money and, and uh, 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 support behind it, yeah, it, it's probably going to come on very rapidly in the next several years and mm -hmm. in the next decade for sure. Well, it's exciting for people that are trying to navigate different types of health issues. But I want to focus a little bit more now on the things that we can do, that we can empower ourselves to do so that we can avoid some of those issues that you've just mentioned. So I think one of the biggest things you were talking about, or a few of the biggest things were diet and exercise and stress reduction. And so let's just chunk those three down because I think those are the three biggest areas that we have control over. So talking about stress, you, you know we live in such a hyper-stressed out society. And, and our bodies are constantly in that fight or flight response mode. So when we are in that mode and we have those chemicals that are through our body, what happens in the brain when we are so stressed? Yeah, it's, uh, it, this is a particular field of uh, interest of mine. Uh, to be honest, I, I kind of got uh, hooked into it about 15 years ago or so. Um, and I got very interested in uh, burnout in healthcare workers. As, as you can imagine, the stress levels there can be, you know, kind of off the scale. Uh, and uh, the, I've actually written three books on burnout and healthcare workers uh, that came before the current book uh, uh, that is a novel, but it's, 
still gets into uh, burnout in one specific uh, healthcare worker, a, a uh, neurosurgeon. Um, but we know that uh, we know that uh, with with persistent stress, um, that we kind of overcome our our uh, coping mechanisms, our ability to uh, overcome the stress and and soldier on, if you will. Now, again, where is that occurring deep down in the brain? You you can have all sorts of hypotheticals. I don't think, again, that we have that specifically mapped out to these basic uh, connections and these basic structures. But we know the, the amygdala, the limbic system, the prefrontal uh, or the, uh, the prefrontal cortices, the the cingulate uh, gyrus, all these all these structures within the brain are uh, involved when we continue to stress it out. And we are probably once again influencing pathways um, of stress response of our flight or fight uh, responses and and really just kind of grooving those connections. So that becomes almost a state of being for us to be hyper hyper alerted. Uh, um, you know, kind of anticipating the worst rather than uh, than the best, seeking out uh, proof that we're right about our uh, uh, about our worries and our concerns, as opposed to seeking out the things that uh, that uh, uplift our days and and that sort of thing. So I think on a you know on a microscopic level, yeah, we we are probably influencing those connections and uh, strengthening them and just you know, continuing to fire off those those neurons, if you will, uh, to the point that that becomes the dominant strategy or the dominant uh, patterns. But it's exhausting. The system is not designed to be constantly uh, fighting for survival. We, it needs some downtime and uh, eventually exhausts itself out. And I think that's you know, one of the main components of burnout is is an emotional exhaustion uh, that that you know is we don't just restore by going to bed that night. So then we uh, we we end up in a in a uh, sometimes chronic state of emotional exhaustion. And so, what about diet? What are the things that we should be avoiding and adding in to promote brain health? Yeah, that, I mean that's a pretty easy one. Uh, Let's go. Let's go with a well-rounded, uh, balanced diet. Um, and I know uh, people are inclined to take a lot of vitamins or, or look for the magical food. And the reality is, uh, we know that that uh, good diet and good brain health uh, certainly is going to come from a truly good old-fashioned balanced diet. Uh, we can look it up in any really nutritional uh, textbook in terms of uh, not overdoing it with any one specific uh, food group or one specific uh, type of uh, food. Um, if if we do that, we actually ingest the uh, an appropriate amount of uh, vitamins and nutrients and you know basic elements and and uh, we'll keep ourselves going. So. Again, you know, pretty pretty straightforward stuff um, uh, of a lot of fruit and vegetables with a with a reasonable protein mix in there. We need some fat, uh, and then you know, to avoid all the all the uh, 
kind of the, the food that we the foods that we already know are potentially harmful. You know, heavy on the sweets, uh, heavy on the on the fat. Um, uh, you know, the the uh, big juicy cheeseburgers that taste really good, and the and the uh, fries and the big ice creams uh, afterwards. Uh, in moderation are fine, but uh, in large in large doses are are harmful on multiple levels. Uh, the big level, you know, the, the most direct ones are simply they they lead to atherosclerosis, and atherosclerosis uh, is very harmful to the brain, even if it doesn't involve big strokes. It 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 is robbing the brain of the vital blood supply uh, it needs on a microscopic level. And it's interesting because, you know, our desire for those foods are really are coming out of the brain. The brain is kind of was not prepared for modern life. The brain was prepared for the way humans existed for a long, long time, which was uh, that there wasn't a lot of food around. And if we could get a, a, a source of high fat, Every so often, yeah, eat it up real quick. It's going to taste good to us because it's a source of a huge amount of calories. But, you know, in modern living now, it's so plentiful uh, that the brain hasn't quite figured out that, oh, you, you know, you got plenty, you got enough. Uh, you can take that in moderation. So we're, we have to actually tell the brain that. We actually have to override uh, our, our hunger for uh, some of the more harmful foods. Part of my physical, I recently just had a cardiac score test done to check for plaque and blockages. Are there any types of brain tests that we should be having done as part of our routine preventative physicals just to, to see what's going on in there? Currently, there there isn't a lot of scientific support. Uh, in, in other words, you know, scientific studies looking at populations, um, but there isn't good support for doing any sort of basic screening test of the brain on, on any real level, be it blood vessel tests, MRI scanning, that sort of thing. There, there really isn't a lot of strong evidence that that would uh, be good for us. Um, in a basic uh, primary care mode, uh, many mental status exams are kind of common, uh, particularly in older people to look for the early signs of dementia, for example. But that's about as far as it goes. So nobody right now is recommending getting a, for example, a, a major blood vessel screening test uh, uh, for the uh, blood vessels going into the brain. Now, for somebody who has had symptoms, uh, like a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, or a small stroke or something like that, that changes the dynamic and, and uh, all sorts of testing might be done. Um, so, you know, kind of the best test and the best, probably the best judge of all, better than any doctor, better than any MRI, uh, is our own uh, attendance to ourselves. And, and one of the things that we've certainly uh, learned in um, in the burnout and resilience world uh, in dealing with it and healthcare workers at least, but I, I know this it goes for the entire population, is that we are all lousy in what we call self-compassion. And self-compassion can be looked at in many different ways, uh, but uh, the way we like to look at it is just a, a, a knowing oneself, an ability to kind of 
really hone down on how we're doing, how are we performing, how are we responding to our environment, uh, what brings us up, what gets us down, really knowing ourselves. How, how are things working? How are we thinking? How are we processing? We're not very good at that as a species. We tend to focus on others uh, quite a bit. And we almost, we almost will give in to a guilt if we start thinking about ourselves. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating rampant narcissism where all we do is think about ourselves. But I think we do periodically need to think about, well, geez, how am I doing? How am I thinking? How am I processing? Uh, what, is, what is working for me? What is not working for me? Because how do we know to tend to ourselves if, if we're not doing that? But if we are doing it, if we're pretty darn aware of how our system is working, it then becomes much easier to, to determine, to get a sense of when it's not working, when there's a misfire, when not all the pistons are, are firing or something like that. Uh, and then we're uh, able to uh, potentially bring it to attention. But again, we're, we're just not all that geared towards doing that. And I think uh, that would definitely be a good thing because we are the best judge of how, how it's all going down. And doctor, where can our listeners go to get information about your new book and any of your work? I have a website that basically is my name with a dot com. So it's Gary, G-A-R-Y-R Simmons, S-I-M-O-N-D-A.com. And uh, uh, all the books are uh, discussed there amongst various other topics. And uh, I'm, you know, part of the reason for doing this is uh, I'm really interested in talking to people about a whole wealth of subjects that uh, all of the books uh, raise. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy this sort of discussion where we can kind of uh, really get into the weeds, if you will, on what's good for us, what's not so good for us, what are our challenges, how can we help ourselves and help each other, uh, hopefully. So I, I really hope people do access it and contact me. And uh, I'm delighted to talk to anybody about these subjects. Well, Doctor, I'm so happy that you spent this time with us because I'm fascinated by the brain. So I would love to have you come back because there's so much more that I would love to ask you. Yeah, I, I would be delighted, too. I think we're scratching the surface of, of where we can go with all this. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.